I, I wonder, would you turn with me please to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And if you keep, keep that psalm open before you as we speak this morning. Psalm 139. Now I have got uh, good news for you. I'm going to speak on a great subject, but having said that, I have a problem. Where am I going to start, and when am I going to finish? The subject we're going to think about this morning is probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, subjects of all. And it is the greatness of God. What a subject. What a theme. The greatness of God. Immediately you see my problem. Where am I going to start? Where am I going to finish? When we think of God's greatness. And there's one thing that we should ever be grateful for. And that is that God has taken the initiative to reveal himself to us. Because if God had not taken the initiative, there is absolutely no way that we finite mortal creatures could ever come to any understanding of God's greatness. God has taken the initiative to reveal himself to us. Let me mention some of the ways in which God has revealed himself. He has revealed himself through creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show of his handiwork. The sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the universe, in all its vastness and all its greatness, speaks to us of God's greatness. For if there is a creation, then it stands the reason there must be a great creator. Didn't happen by chance, by luck or fate. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God has revealed himself in creation. He has also revealed himself in providence of how he runs the world given us fruitful seasons looking after the, the world that he has created we can see God revealing himself in providence God has revealed himself in conscience you've got a conscience I've got a conscience that little detective within us that helps us to distinguish between good and evil your conscience, my conscience, reveals to us something of God's greatness. Planting within ourselves conscience. 
that distinguishes us from the brute animal creation. And then God has revealed himself through his word. 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And from Genesis to Revelation, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we come to know God through his word which he has given to us. It has been burned, it has been rejected, it has been despised, it has been hated, and yet in the 21st century it is still with us. Heaven and earth may pass away, but God's word is forever established in heaven. And then God has revealed himself in his names. Think of the multiplicity of names that God has. And every name and every title of God is a revelation of God's greatness. Take the first one. Genesis 1 verse 1 in the beginning, God. In the original Hebrew, it is Elohim. And that is a plural word, Elohim. The first hint of a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Elohim. And then in Genesis chapter 2, you have Jehovah God, or Lord God, in our Bibles. And that word Lord is Yahweh. And it is the awesome name of Jehovah which brings together the three aspects of time. We speak of time as the past, the present, and the future. That's how we look at time. And in the awesome name of Yahweh, Jehovah, Lord, those three things are brought together. And literally it means, he that ever was, there's the past, he that ever is, there's the present, he that ever shall be, there's the future, brought together in the awesome name of Yahweh, Jehovah. Get to know the names of God. Because as you get to know his his names, you get to know his majesty and his glory and his splendor. Because every name is a revelation of God's greatness and of God's majesty. And then God has revealed himself through his attributes, his perfections. And that is what we're going to think about this morning. And then, of course, supremely, God has revealed himself in his wonderful and lovely and blessed Son, the Lord Jesus. It was Dr. Campbell Morgan who said that God has spoken his last word in his Son. In times past he spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, but half in these last days, the writer of the Hebrews says, have spoken to us by his Son. And you remember what Philip said in John 14? He said to the Lord, show us the Father, and it will suffice us. 
And the Lord said, How long have I been with you, Philip, and have you not known me? He that have seen me have seen the Father. And so you see, dear friends, God has taken the initiative in creation, in providence, in conscience, in his word, in his names, in his attributes, and supremely and finally, if you want, in the person of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus. What we're going to do this morning for a little time, we're going to have a look of how God has revealed himself through his attributes, his perfections. That's another wonderful way of getting to know God. Get to know his attributes, his perfections. Because every one of them again reveals to us something of the greatness and the majesty of God. And that is why I have referred to Psalm 139. David did not write all the Psalms. He wrote over 70 of the Psalms that we have in the Psalter, the book of Psalms. And I believe that Psalm 139 is probably one of the greatest and the most wonderful Psalms that he ever penned. What a Psalm it is. Revealing to us something of God's greatness. Actually, it is a prayer that David is praying. And if we could tiptoe very softly and put our ear to the closet door, we could hear David engaged in prayer. It's a very personal psalm just between the Lord and David. God is mentioned six times and referred to 30 times. David is mentioned 50 times. So it is a very personal psalm between God and David. And it's very interesting, and this is most important, very interesting, that when David is going to think about God's attributes as he's in touch with God, he does not relate those attributes to the universe or to the world, but he relates them personally and individually to himself. And that's very, very interesting. In other words, David moves from the general to the particular. And that's a wonderful thing to do when you're reading the Bible. Move from the general to the particular. Now you're probably saying, now what do you mean? Well, let me give you one or two examples. How does Psalm 23 commence? It's a well-known psalm. Does it say the Lord is a shepherd? No. The Lord is the shepherd? No. The Lord is our shepherd? No. The Lord is my shepherd. In the Hebrew, Jehovah Roi. Jehovah shepherd. See what David doing? Oh yes, he's a shepherd of other Israelites. 
But as far as David is concerned, he moves from the general to the particular, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And that, 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 that wonderful, that you can say that, and I can say that, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, he's the shepherd of all the Christians, but you see, he's thinking of himself. The Lord is my shepherd. And then take what our Lord, our Lord's mother said, you remember Luke chapter 1? She says, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, listen to this, not a saviour, not our saviour, but my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my saviour. Isn't that wonderful? God, my saviour. David, my shepherd. Mary, our Lord's mother, my saviour. Take what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, the Son of God who loved who? Us? No. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And dear Christian, if you read the Bible in that way, move from the general to the particular. Apply it to yourself. It will bless you. Again, take John 3 and 16, a well-known verse. For God so loved the world. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. The world's population is 7.4 billion. A lot of people. And of course, God's love can encompass 7.4 billion people. No problem. But when you put your name in there, let me use my name as an illustration. For God so loved Stanley Shaw, put your name in, that he gave his only begotten son, that if Stanley Shaw would believe in him, he would not perish, but have everlasting life. Put your name in. Forget about the 7.4 billion people. God so loved you as a person, as an individual. And it makes the Bible come alive to you. So move from the general to the particular and apply it to yourself. And that's what David does in Psalm 139. And he's going to think in this lovely psalm of some of God's attributes and he relates them not to the universe not to the world around him but he relates them to himself and he deals with the attributes now of course in David's day he would not have used that word it's from the Latin he wouldn't have used that word but uh, we can use the word because that's what it means he refers, first of all, to God's omniscience. And then secondly, he refers to God's omnipresence. And then thirdly, he refers to God's omnipotence. Three wonderful attributes that David is thinking about, contemplating, as he is communicating with God. He thinks of God's omniscience. Which simply means God's all knowledge. 
God knows everything about everything. There is nothing that God does not know, past, present, or future. He is omniscient, all knowledge. He never increases in knowledge because he is perfect in knowledge. He knows everything. Now here's how David applies that to himself. Here's what he says. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Listen to this. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Oh, what a revelation that is. He's in God's presence. And he realizes he is as an open book as far as God is concerned. He knows every thought that he thinks. He knows every word that he speaks. He knows every action he does. There are no secrets he doesn't know. There are no skeletons in his cupboard he doesn't know about. He knows absolutely everything about David. You can't bluff him. You can't deceive him. You can't put the wool over his eyes. He sees you as you are. That's what we mean when we speak of God's omniscience. I stand before you. You don't know me. You've met me a few times. I look at you. I see you from time to time. I don't know what you're thinking at this moment. But God does. And before we even speak words, God knows the words you're going to speak. He knows every desire, every longing, every yearning, every aspiration, every disappointment, everything about you, God knows from beginning to end. And dear friends, that can be terrifying. You can bluff me. I can bluff the elders of this church and I can bluff you but you'll never bluff God because you are before him as an open book he flicks the pages over he knows absolutely everything about you now it can be terrifying but let me say it can be very comforting it can be very comforting I go into God's presence and I say, Lord, I'm sad, I'm heavy, I'm disappointed. I can be honest with God because God knows me. That's what we mean when we speak of God's omniscience, his all knowledge. You will never surprise God. You will never disappoint him. Because he knows you from beginning to end, past, present, and future. No wonder David said, such knowledge 
is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain unto it. When was the last time you thought of God's omniscience? You've heard it this morning. Keep it in mind. He knows absolutely everything about you. And then David thinks of another attribute. He begins to think of God's omnipresence. Which simply means his presence in every place. Here's how he puts it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Listen to this. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell or Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, should the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the night are above light to thee. You can run, but you can't hide. Because there's absolutely nowhere in God's vast universe that God is not. That's what I mean when we speak of God's omnipresence. His presence in every place. Now when we speak of God's presence, we mean the totality of his being. He's not just part here and part there. No, no. He's everywhere in the totality of his being. Oh, David says, if I go up to heaven, he's there. If I go down into Sheol, he's there. If I take the wings of the morning, and some believe, dear friends, that the wings of the morning is a poetical expression of the sunbeams that travel at 190,000 miles a second. And if David could go at that speed to the uttermost parts there, lo and behold, God's already there to meet him. You can run, but you can't hide. Where can you go but God's not there? He's everywhere. His omnipresence. Not that David was thinking of trying to hide from God or run from God. Poor Jonah thought he could do that. The Lord said, go to Nineveh. Oh no, I'm going the opposite direction. Go to Tarsus. And he soon discovered you can't hide from God. God's omnipresence. Whether you go up, you go down, or you go across, makes no difference. God is everywhere. His omnipresence. And then, thirdly, David then begins to think not of just God's omniscience, his own knowledge, and his omnipresence in every place. He then begins to think of God's omnipotence. Which means almighty, all-powerful. And here we find he applies it to himself as he does the other attributes. When he thinks of God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, he doesn't think of the universe and the world. What he do? He applies it to himself. He, he doesn't have to go elsewhere. To think of God's omnipotence. And you know what he does? He thinks of himself. 
when he was conceived in his mother's womb and those nine months he spent in his mother's womb. And during those nine months, he could see an evidence of God's omnipotence shaping and forming him before he was even born. And I remember in David's day, he would not know much about anatomy or embryology. But even in his day, he could say, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But he thinks of God forming him, shaping him in his mother's womb. And dear friends, have you ever wondered, have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror? Of course you do, every day. See how lovely you are. Especially you ladies. Have you ever wondered how you are a demonstration, evidence, proof of the omnipotence of God? Let me give you some information. I came across this some time ago concerning the body. You've got one. I've got one. You know, sometimes people used to come to me years ago when I was pastor in the churches and they say, Pastor, I'm not with you tonight. I'm going someplace else, I've got an engagement, but I'll be with you in spirit. And I usually say, well, that's okay, brother, next time bring your body. <laughs> I don't like speaking to disembodied spirits. <laughs> I'm glad you're here with regard to your body, and not just your spirit. Have you ever wondered of your body? Here it is. 200 and 63 bones 600 muscles listen to this 970 miles of blood vessels 400 cups on the tongue for taste 20,000 hairs in the ears to tune in to all sounds 40 pound jaw pressure, 10 million nerves, 600 million air cells to the lungs that inhale 2,400 gallons of air daily. 4,200 times an hour the heart beats and pumps 12 tons of blood daily. Think of your fingerprints. No set of fingerprints are identical. Think of it. 7.4 billion of a population and every fingerprint of those individuals, they're all different. Think of the earprints. No two are the same. Think of the DNA that you have and my DNA unique to yourself and just recently it was due to DNA that helped to convict that evil teenager in abducting and raping and murdering that little girl six years of age on the Isle of Butte it was mostly down to the DNA that was found that convicted him 
of such a heinous brutal murder and he's going to spend an awful lot of years in prison because he murdered that little girl six years of age dear friends the body a demonstration of God's omnipotence his all power now here's, here's the news when God made you and when God made me he broke the modes and there's never going to be another you or another me for example when God made Sandy Steen he broke the mood and there's never going to be another Sam Stein and you're probably saying thank goodness for that <laughs> and you're probably saying when God made Sam Shaw, he broke the mood and never going to be another Sam Shaw. you probably say well that's a good job you see dear friends we are absolutely unique you're different from me and I'm different from you you're, 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 you're unique God has made you and he broke the mood and there's only one of you and there's only one of me and of course you might like the way you are but I'm sorry you can't change it that's the way you are and that's the way you're going to be until God changes you ultimately in redemption at a second coming And there we see something of God's omnipotence. Not in the universe, but in his own self. Is there any wonder he says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God's omniscience is all knowledge. God's omnipresence, presence in every place. God's omnipotence. He's all powerful. He is the El Shaddai, the Almighty, the All Powerful One. Now, let me just mention very quickly another attribute. And of course, David doesn't mention in Psalm 139, but I want to, I feel like the Lord leading me to mention this. And that is his immutability. His immutability. Here's what he says in Malachi chapter 3. I am the Lord. I change not. Now we find that difficult to understand. And I'll tell you why. We live in a world that is always changing. You change and I change. The world changes. Governments change. We are continually changing. Change and decay all around, I see, the hymn writer says. And therefore we find it difficult to think of someone who never changes. But that's our God. Immutability is stamped upon his person. He never changes. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He will never change. Now isn't that wonderful? You change and I change. Up and down. You blow hot, you blow cold. But here's someone who is 
always the same. I am the Lord, I change not. The same applies to our lovely Lord Jesus. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The unchanging God. Now then, as I close, you might think this is a, an anticlimax, but it's in the Bible. God is omniscient, He's omnipresent, He's omnipotent, He's immutable. But think of this there are even things that God cannot do. Oh, you say, Stanley, what an anticlimax! Omnipotent, all-powerful, and yet you're saying there are some things that God cannot do. Oh yes, friends. Some things God cannot do. For example, he cannot change the past. You can't change the past. I can't change the past. Not even God can change the past. There's something God cannot do. God cannot change. We saw that you change, I change but God cannot change God cannot lie you can lie, we write lies God cannot lie so many things that God cannot do but you see dear friends there are not negatives in that sense if you're part of the expression there are negatives that show us how positive God is tell me could you worship a God that would change? Of course not. Could you worship a God that's not true to his word? Of course not. When we think of these things that even God cannot do, it makes us rejoice and have confidence in him. And he, he, he never fails to keep his promise. You make promises, you don't keep them sometimes. When God makes a promise... He'll keep it. And sometimes over the years I've counseled Christians who have come to me and they say, Pastor, could I have a word with you? And I said, yes, we go to the vestry. And they say, he's left me. He's left me. I said, wait a minute, who are you talking about? Are you talking about your wife? Are you talking about your husband? He's left me. She's left me. Oh no, the Lord's left me. And in a very gracious way I say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you calling the Lord a liar? Oh, oh no, oh no, I'm not, no, no. What? You've, you've told me he's left you. Whereas he says, Hebrews 13, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What has happened to that poor woman or that poor man was simply this. Perhaps because of problems or sickness or whatever, they have lost the sense of his presence. But he himself has never left them. He's there. Ever near to bless and cheer, even in the darkest hour. And when they pointed out to them, the just shall live not by their feelings or by their moods or by their frames of mind. The just shall live by faith and we walk by faith and not by sight. Ah, they say, thank you, that's been a great help. 
I thought he left me. But he hadn't. What he says he will do. I will never leave thee. It's even stronger in the original Greek, that verse, in Hebrews 13. And you must remember that the Bible that you have in front of you wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. And if you've ever done any language study, maybe from Spanish or Italian into English, you know that when you translate from one language to another, sometimes you lose the value of the original. And sometimes, sad to say, in our authorized English version, translating from the Hebrew into English or the Greek into English, sometimes they lose the, the, the worth and the value and the beauty of the original. And in the original of Greek of Hebrews 13, the English version says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There are five intensified negatives in the original Greek language in that verse. Think of it, five intensified negatives. And if you want a more literal translation, you can remember, I will never, 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 never leave thee. I will never, never, never forsake you. Now, how passive can you get? How more passive can you get? Is that getting through to you? I will never, never, never leave you. I will never, never forsake you. And here's what the, that lovely chapter says. Notice very carefully. The writer says, Because he has said something, then we can say something. Because the next verse says, so that we may boldly say, not just think it, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You see, he says something, I can say something. Isn't that wonderful, friends? You just don't think it, you say it. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Oh dear, is that the time? Doesn't time fly when you're enjoying yourself? Well, at least I am. I don't know about you, friends. But oh, what a, what a delightful study has been, dear friends. And I've been praying for this meeting. Oh yes, I've been praying for the whole lot of you. Every one of you. And here's I've been asking my heavenly father for this meeting. I said, dear father, don't let those people that I'm preaching to leave the meeting and say what a good sermon if they thought it was a good sermon. Oh no, I don't want that, friends. I want all of you to leave this meeting with a song in your heart. And this is a song. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art. And if that happens, I'll give two hallelujahs. <laughs> Have you seen something of God's greatness, friends? Think on his attributes, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his immutability. Think of the things he cannot do, which just shows how positive and how wonderful it is. And oh, I must finish on this great note. Down here we read about him. Down here we hear about him. 
But when we get home to the glory in the glory land, in that wonderful city, here's what it says. And when I read those verses some time ago, I cried. And they shall see his face. We're going to see him. Not my words. Here's what the Lord said. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see who? They shall see God. Oh, what a saint that's going to be when we see him. Change from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place. When we cast our crowns before him, lost in wonder, love and praise. Because this is our God. How wonderful and how great and how majestic it is. We sometimes feel like singing with Charles Wesley, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer's praise. The triumphs of his grace and glory. The triumphs of his grace. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father. What a tremendous note to finish this service on Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to me. How great thou art. Thank you, dear Lord, for revealing yourself in so many different ways. And dear Lord, leave, let us leave this meeting. And in the days that lie ahead, may our minds and hearts and souls and spirits be kept available, be taken up with your greatness and your majesty. Thank you, dear Lord, for revealing yourself to us. And for bringing us into a wonderful relationship with yourself through grace. So that we can say that this great God is my heavenly Father. And I am his child. Oh the wonder. Oh the amazing amazement Lord. We are humble before you Lord and rightly so. We are but finite creatures and you are the great creator. And yet you love us, you care for us, and one day you shall take us ultimately to be with yourself, and then we shall see you in all your glory and in all your majesty. And when we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing his praise than when we first forgot. And then, Lord, we shall bow before you. And we shall say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sight that saved a wretch like me. To you be all the praise, and all the glory, and all the honor. Part us with thy blessing in our Saviour's purest name.